Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Some of us have not met before. My name is Chris. I hail all the way from New York City. My wife, Jairus, and I, yeah, thank you, thank you. My wife, Jairus, and I have been praying for you before you ever existed. Pastors Robert and Taylor are two of our best friends in the whole world, and we've, we've dreamt with them, we've prayed with them for everything that God is doing now, and, and I've been at the, the previous locations. I'm so excited to be here now, and, and you may not know this, but I'm, I'm family. I'm, I'm family, and I'm excited. I'm excited for everything that God has going forward because you know he has a building for us, right? You know, you know there's another building coming, like there's more properties. Come on, there, there's more revival, there's more services, there's more people. I'm just, I'm excited that I get to be a part of it. And, and the truth is, the truth is, that's, that's because God's given you some pretty special leaders and pastors Robert and Taylor Madhu. I, I can't think of two better people who, who love Jesus, who give it all they got every time. I mean, I've, I've been with them. I've vacationed with them. I've, I've been over their house. All we do is talk about you all. They, they love you. And I just love how much God loves them and the favor that is on their life. I know that they're, they're, they're somewhere resting, and we're so glad that they get to rest, aren't we? We're so glad that they get to rest because they give it 110% each and every time. But even though, even though they're not in the room, it does not mean that we should not take the moment to honor them. Come on, social, can you help me by honoring them right now? Man, I just love them so much. I love them. I love them so much. They're, they're the absolute best. Go on ahead and grab your seat. Go on ahead and grab your seat. Worship team, we're going to do that in a little bit. Can I keep keys? Can you stay with me? Yeah, you make me sound so much more spiritual. So you make me sound better. You make me sound better. I'm, like I said, my name is Chris. I have the beautiful privilege of traveling the world, preaching the gospel full time. I'm actually married to a beautiful woman named Jairus Derso. We'll be celebrating 17 years of marriage this November. Come on, isn't that amazing? 17 years of, of marriage. And we have two beautiful children, Dylan and Chloe. Chloe, who's in the back? She went to the first service. She said, Dad, I'm done. So she's sleeping somewhere in the back. Um, but she wanted me to tell you all that she loves you and that she's excited to be here. Um, if you have your Bibles, you could, you could bring them out. Uh, if not, that's okay. You could follow along with me on the electronic Bible behind me, okay? Because I'm actually going to be reading. I'm going to be reading from the message translation. I'm going to be reading from the message translation. So that's going to read a little bit differently than yours. However, let me challenge you right now to take out something to take notes with. Go on your smartphone, put it on airplane mode so you don't get distracted. Go on over to the memo section, and let's just take notes, because I really believe, I really believe that God has, has a destiny word for you this morning. I, I believe he's going to speak to you about what it is that he's calling you to do. So I want to point your attention to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. The book of Exodus, chapter 3. That's in your Old Testament. Exodus, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This is what the Bible says. It says, Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire blazing out of the middle of a bush. He looked. The bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Now, maybe you've not heard the story of Moses before. That's okay. 
In this moment of Moses' life, he is 80 years old, which is also important to note because if you do know about Moses' life, you might have thought he was a different age. This is the moment where he says yes to the assignment that God has placed on him. And now everything, everything that happened before this moment, all the 80 years leading up to this will now make sense for him. See, see Moses, he was an Israelite, but he was raised by Egyptians. The reason why that's important to note is because the Egyptians ruled over the Israelites. In fact, the Egyptians had the Israelites as slaves. And although Moses is an Israelite, he grew up like he was an Egyptian. See, see, there was a genocide in the land when he was being born, when he was a baby. And his mother took him and put him in a basket and allowed him to float down the Nile. As he floated down the Nile, uh, Pharaoh's family came and found him and accepted him in as one of their own. And now he grew up as royalty when the rest of his people were slaves. So he grew up privileged. Not really, not really understanding why. You ever have a moment in your life where nothing in your life made sense and you're trying to figure out, God, why did all this happen to me? Anybody? This is that moment for Moses. So now he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And as he's, as he's leading the sheep along the mountain, there's, there's a bush and it's on fire. Now, it was so hot back then that seeing a bush on fire was not really that big of a deal. What was a big deal was that the bush was on fire and it wasn't burning up. So here is now Moses as an 80-year-old shepherd taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. The reason why it's important to note that it's his father-in-law's sheep is because the fact he didn't have his own sheep, which would have meant that he wasn't as successful as other men his age. So now here is a man that grew up privileged, but in this moment, is not living so privileged. He's taking care of another man's sheep, his, his father-in-law. And as he's walking in the shadows of this mountain, he sees a bush and it's on fire. The miracle is not that it's on fire. The miracle is that it's on fire and it's not burning up. Moses stops and he says, what's going on here? I, I can't believe this. Amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? Look at verse 4. God, God saw that he had stopped to look. God saw that he had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. I want to point out right there that Moses is ignorant to anything that is happening in this moment. And I don't say ignorant in a demeaning term. No, I say it in the purest sense of the definition of the word. Moses is completely ignorant to what is going on here. And yet in his ignorance, he looks at God and that's enough for God. That even in his own ignorance, the fact that he would glance God's way, God says, that's enough for me to work with. Which should be encouraging to anybody that walked in the room today, not really sure about God or what's going on here. He says, I don't need you to be that smart. I don't need you to be that well-versed. I don't need you to know your Bible. Hey, if you just give me a look. If you just look my way, that's enough. If you just look in my direction, that's enough. I know what people have told you. I know what other churches have told you. I know what other denominations have told you. They make you take a 16-week course, and you have to pay dues, and you got to roll on the ground. You got to do all these things. He says, I don't need all of that. I don't need any of that. Just give me a look. Just give me a look. Just give me a look. Side note, isn't it amazing that it is easier to get into heaven than it is some churches? No? Just, we're not going to talk about that? My bad. We'll just keep it going. We'll just keep it going. 
He just gave God a look and God goes, I got his attention. I got his attention. God saw that he had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, yes, I'm right here. God said, don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet. You are standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is important to note because I know this sounds like typical biblical literature, and that's the kind of thing that God would say, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the reason why this would be so pertinent for Moses is because Moses did not know his father, and yet God still talks to him like a son, which is important for the one that walked in today, and you don't have a great family dynamic. You don't know your mother. You don't know your father. You don't have a good relationship with them. You know what God says to you? He says, you are still my son. You are still my daughter. You are still my son. You are still my daughter. You are still my son, and you are still my daughter. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. God said, I've taken a good, long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. I now have come to help them, pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, get them out of the country and bring them and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. The Israelite cry for help has come to me, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they've been treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. Man, can you imagine this moment from Moses? He's already grown up in a land feeling completely out of place because he's not treated how he should be treated. And the very people raising him are the very people persecuting his people. The very people that are providing for him are the very people that are the very people persecuting the people that he should have been growing up with. Can you imagine the guilt, the survivor's guilt, that this man made it out? And now that he's made it out, God's saying, good, you're going back. What? I made it through. They they didn't treat me like everyone else. And now you want me to go back? Can you imagine the conundrum in Moses' mind? heard the cry for help. I've heard the cry for help. I've heard the cry for help. I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Side note, you could, you can substitute God's people with Israel, and you could substitute the world with Egypt, and that statement would still read true. Because anytime you read the term Israel in your Bible, it represents God's people. And every time you read the term Egypt in your Bible, it represents secular living. So what he's saying is, the people of God out of the hands of the secular. Moses hears all that. Look at his response. It goes on to say, Moses answered God, but why me? <laughs> like Moses, you just heard all of that for real? You... But he says, but why me? So, sure, I want to take the next few moments and I want to preach to you answering this question that'll serve as the title for this sermon. Why 
me. If you're taking notes, go on ahead and write that down. If you're not taking notes, take notes. Why me? Let's pray one more time. Holy Spirit, speak. Move and do what only you could do. Have your way in this place, in the matchless name of Jesus. We all said? Come on, we all said? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll get you back up here in a little bit. Can we thank God for the worship team and the musicians? Aren't they amazing? Absolutely amazing. I'm grateful for you and the entire team. So phenomenal. So phenomenal. Anyone here excited for summer to come to an end? Come on, anybody? Anybody excited? I know it's a younger service. The, the few cheers you just heard were the parents right there. The, the parents are excited for the summer to end. They're like, God, take these children back. You know what I mean? I need, I need school. I need babysitting. I need a separation from them. Right, a parent's hugging their child right now like, not you. He's lying to you. He wants you out. He wants you out. He wants you out. Man, you don't want to see summer. And listen, I don't want to bring summer to a close too soon for you because I know we got a few weeks left. However, let me just challenge you to put on your thinking caps real quick. Just let's put on our thinking caps real quick. Let's go back to school. Who here remembers the five W's? Does anybody remember that? Yeah, yeah. Who remembers the five W's? Some of you are like, what? The five W's. Come on, you use the five W's every time you wrote a paper, right? Every time you did a report. Every time you had to do current events, right? The five W's. Who, what, when, where, why. Who, what, when, where, why. Who, what, when, where, why. We ask, we ask who, we ask who to learn of the person speaking or spoken to or to the persons introduced in the narrative. We asked what to learn the incidences or statements of materials we're reading. We ask when to learn the date of the actions taken place. And we ask where to learn the place or locality. Did it happen here or did it happen there? Did this take place in Dallas or did it take place in New York? When you're having a conversation with someone without realizing it, you answer these five questions. Who, what, when, where, why? And then when we get to why, why, in my opinion, in my opinion, is the most provocative and the most interesting of, of the five W's because why speaks to intent. Why speaks to reasoning. In fact, I could agree with you on the who, the what, the when, the where, but the moment we get to the why, I'm going to figure out if me and you could be friends or not, right? I mean, we could talk about topics. We could talk about the news. We could talk about politics. We could talk about church. We could talk about our pastors. We could talk about our friends. But the moment we get to the why, I'm trying to figure out if me and you could get with one another. You know what I mean? Like, like are we on the same page? Is there a future for our friendship? Why? Why, why do you go to that church? Why did you go to that conference? Why are you going to college? Why are you studying that? Why do you tithe? Why do you pray? Why do you hang out with them? Why are you a part of that internship? Why are you dating him? Why are you dating her? Why did you marry him? Why did you break up with me. You got to be careful with that why, right? That's a why that'll get you smacked right there. To which we all know the most famous response to that why question. Why did you break up with me? Does anybody know, right? It's not you. It's me. Exactly. That is a why that'll get you in trouble right there. It's not you. It's me. The Holy Spirit told me to tell you 
That the answer to that why question is the answer to your why question. The answer to that why question is the answer to your why question. You've been asking the Holy Spirit, why is it that you're telling me to do this? Why is it that you're telling me to step out? Why is it that you want me to start this business? Why is it that you want me to call them up? Why is it that you want me to tithe? And the Holy Spirit sent me from New York to tell you today that it's not you, it's him. So as you are arguing with him about the assignment that he's placed on you and you're trying to give him all the reasoning as to why you don't want to do it he says your reasoning is right if it were up to you but it's not up to you it's up to me it's not you he is saying I am calling you and I am with you I am calling you and I am with you I am calling you and I am with you and I need you to write down that statement because what is considered typical cliche breakup rhetoric is actually beautiful catalytic breakthrough revelation it's not you it's me God's saying, I want you to start that business. You're saying, why me? He's saying, I want you to call that person. I want you to sow into their lives. You're saying, why me? He's saying, I want you to wake up a little bit earlier and I want you to show up to church a little bit earlier so you could help with setting up the chairs and you could help with setting up the speakers. And you're saying, why me? He's saying, I want you to offer them a ride home. And you're saying, why me? He's saying, I want you to shift schools and I want you to now go to this school. I want you to move to this city. I want you to call up this person and you are arguing with God the entire time and what you're trying to do is make a case for why you are not the proper candidate. God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not cute enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't understand it. I'm not churched. I'm too church. I have church hurt and you're trying to give all these examples and he's saying, son, daughter, I know all of that about you, but guess what? It's not about you. It is all about... It's not you. It's me, but I want you. You need a point? There's point one. God wants you. Why do you want me? Because he saved you. He did not just save you to leave you. He saved you because he's purposed you. Let me say it this way. You don't get to be saved and not assigned. There is an assignment on your life. And as you are arguing with God about the assignment, you are missing out on the mission. As you are arguing with God on the assignment, you are missing out on the mission. He says, I have destined you. I have predestined you. When you were wilding out, when you weren't righteous and you were ratchet, I still predestined you. I had a calling that was on your life. And I knew that one day you would say yes to me. But your yes to me doesn't just give you access into heaven. Your yes to me gives you access to destiny he says I want you can you imagine Moses at 80 years old feeling unsuccessful taking care of his father-in-law's sheep knowing knowing that he murdered a man and was on the run I forgot to mention that to you oh yeah in trying to defend his own people he murders a man and then the very people he's trying to defend look at him and they call him a murderer and then the very people that he murdered are the same person or the same people group that were keeping his people bound and it's like he can't catch a break so now he here now he's here in the shadows of the desert and God calls him by name Moses Moses and he's thinking why me this isn't some false 
humility. This is complete and utter insecurity. Why me? Why, why would you call me? Why would you call me? Why? Because he knows him like you know you. You know yourself so well that every time you hear your name, someone goes to give you a compliment and you can't accept it. Someone tries to tell you that there's purpose on your life and you cannot receive it. Someone tells you you would be great to serve and you say, I'm not ready yet. Because when you hear your name, you're not hearing your name like God is saying your name. God is calling you son. God is calling you daughter. But what you hear is worthless. What you hear is failure. What you hear is dropout. What you hear is mess up. And what you hear is mistake. And what the Holy Spirit wanted me to do was encourage you to shift your attention on the word of God and stop listening to the words of your mind because some of you put more authority over the negative words that you speak over yourself over the very words that God has spoken over you. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. I have called to bless you. I have called you. I will use you. I will purpose you. There are great things in front of you. What's behind you is behind you, but I am delivering you from it. I have plans to prosper you, plans with future and a hope. If you would just say yes to me, if there's anybody in the room that says, I'm tired of listening to myself and I want to receive God's word, take about 30 seconds right now and give him a shout. Come on, is there anybody that would say, I'll stand on the word of God because if I try to stand on my own word, I'll fail. But if I stand on the word of God, I could worship with freedom. I could worship with joy. I could worship with happiness. See, this is the moment. This is the moment where things shift for you. Because God wants you, and guess what? He knows you better than you know you. Oh, he knows your past. He knows your mistakes. He, he knows your mess-ups. He knows your flaws, and yet he still calls you. That's what's so difficult for many of us because we know us and we think, man, I've messed up before. I've, I've attempted to do good before. I've attempted to live out for God before, and yet I, I messed up before. But you're going to call me now? He says, you don't get it. I, I, I want you. And not only does God want you, go on ahead and write this down. You are God's way. What? thought he was the way. He is the way. And you are God's way. What does that mean? That means you are the vessel that he wants to use. You are the avenue that he wants to use. You are the person that he wants to use. I know you're thinking, but can he use her and can he use him? He will use her and he will use him, but he also wants to use you. God wants you and you are God's way. Can you put that verse up for me from Philippians? Look what Paul writes. Paul writes this in, in chapter 1, verse 6. He's saying, being confident of this very thing. Being confident of this very thing. Not insecure. Not second-guessing, but being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? He will complete it until the day that you're in heaven with Jesus. That's what that means. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think of this of you all. Because I have you in my heart in as much in both in my chains and in defense and the confirmation of the gospel. You are all partakers with me of grace. Paul is in prison writing this. How could a man in prison have so much freedom and confidence? Because the place that he was did not dictate the place where he is. 
It did not matter his circumstance. His circumstance did not dictate his belief system. His circumstance did not shift his theology. So often we believe something one day, but then it shifts the next contingent on our emotions. And God goes, I'm bigger than your emotions because even when you doubt me, I still am. Man. I'm trying to help you get your confidence back. That you would have the same confidence of a Paul that is confidence of this very thing. That this very thing. Look at that last line. You all are partakers with me of, what's that word? Grace. Say it louder. Grace. You all are partakers with me of grace. Now, if you need a definition for grace, it is the unmerited favor of God. What does that mean? That means that there is nothing you could do or achieve on your own which says, oh, you've done enough. Now you can receive my grace. The word of God says, if you just come to me and you just call out to my name, that's all you need to do and I will apply my grace to you. In other words, you don't have to work for the grace of God. You just accept the grace of God. However, as beautiful as that is, this verse it's saying a little bit more than just that, as if right there that could be enough. This word grace in the original translation is actually an action word. And what Paul is saying is God, God gives you the grace to complete. God gives you the grace to do. What he's saying is the same God that saved me, he saved you. And the way that he saved me, he also saved you. I'm not more special than you because I'm Paul. Me and you are both the same before God. And here's what I'm confident of. The same God that saved me, the same God that delivered you, the same God that calls me, the same God that calls you, he's bestowed his grace on us, the grace to complete the work in front of us. Man. Paul is saying, I'm confident of this, and I want you to be confident of this. See, I think too often when we read the Bible and we read names like Moses and Paul, we read them as if they're better than us, and they're not. They're, they're role models. They're incredible people. We want to model to be like them, but can I tell you that you are just as special to God? You are just as great to God. He says, whom I call, I equip. And all I need from you is your yes. Whew. All I need is your yes. I don't need your bells and whistles. I, I don't need your skill set. In fact, all I need you to do is say yes to me. Because when you say yes to me, I will be able to complete the work that I have started through you. Moses is there. He's trying to, he's trying to do the math. Moses had a speech impediment. He has a, he has a, he has a history. He's 80 years old. He's thinking, how are you going to use me? Hmm. You know what I've learned? That your age will never keep you from doing great things from God. But your insecurity will. Whew. You could be 80 working a dead-end job or what it would seem. You could be in a place where you think that you've done too much and done too much bad. And God says, if you are available, then you are appropriate. If you are available, then you are appropriate. If you just say yes to me, I will use you. If you just say yes to me, I will position you. If you just say yes to me, I will posture you. I am just looking for your yes. I don't need your skill set. I don't, I want you to be skilled because a man should be skilled. But even with your lack of skill, I make up the difference. What God is saying is you are enough if you just say yes to me. Now your yes to God 
is complete submission to God. Hear me. Your yes to God is complete submission to God, which means it is not about ego. It is solely assignment. See, there are some of you who walked in, and you're thinking, man, this is, this is the kind of word I need. Huh? I need this because I've been, I've been waiting for my opportunity. I've been, I've been waiting for my assignment. I mean, I preach too, Pastor Chris. You know, I don't know if you heard. <laughs> Pastor Robert and Taylor, they didn't even need to fly you in. I could have handled it this Sunday. And that's it right there. <laughs> Pay attention to Moses. Moses is in the shadows of a mountain taking care of another man's sheep. And yet God finds him. Can I tell you that faithfulness has an address? I want to say that to you in 2022, because in 2022, everyone is trying to be seen. Everyone's trying to be heard. Everybody wants a platform. In fact, they are paying for people to see them on their platform. How sad is it that we pay people to see us? Talking about if you subscribe today, you'll get 70,000 followers. Man, please get a refund on that, by the way. Paying for people to see. We got, we got a day and age where people want to be professional preachers, professional Christians. We don't need any more professionals. We need authentic preachers. We need authentic worshipers. Not people that are well polished, but say, oh, I don't even got enough, but I'm available. If you'll use anything, Lord, and you want to use me, you could use me. I'm not that smart. I'm not that good. I made some mistakes, but I'm here. He says, perfect. See, the one that says, man, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I, I figured it out. That's why you're not getting it. That's why you're not getting it. You, you know how to talk about sheep, but you don't ever smell like one. You know how to talk about ministry, but you've never done ministry. You could write a good speech, but what does your life preach? See, we don't need more words. We need more life. We need more testimony. We will overcome by what? The, by the word of God and our testimony. By the blood of the lamb and our testimony. Not your sermons. You think I'm up here because I'm preaching a sermon? I'm up here because I said yes to God. And wherever he brings me, that's where I'll go. We need less people that only know how to talk about sheep, and we need a lot more people that smell like the sheep, that know how to interact with the sheep, that understand that they are a sheep. Talking about use me. Let's also pay attention to the leadership. He's taking care of other people's sheep. For the leader watching, and I'm not even at a leadership conference. I don't even know why I'm saying this right now, but there might be a leader watching. They're not your sheep. They're God's. Be careful how you take care of the sheep. Be careful how you speak to the sheep. Every leader in the room, we want to grow team, let's grow team, but let's remember they're his sheep. How do we do ministry? We walk with the sheep. We get dirty. We get messy. We, we get dirt on our feet. We get dirt under our nails. We're not, we don't just figure out nice, cute messages to preach. Uh-uh. We live this thing. And when we get up in front of people and we start ministering to people, it just pours out of us. And someone can go, oh, yeah, that, I know that about him because he walked with me through this. And he walked with me through that. And when I needed prayer, he called me. Yep, that makes sense. See, we need people that their lifestyle validates their words. We don't need any more bios. <laughs> we don't need any more social media platforms. What we need are simply people that are willing to help people. Anybody want to help people? God wants you. You are God's way. Point three, going ahead and write this down. 
God wants you his way. What does that mean? God speaks to Moses and tells Moses, take off your shoes and step into my presence. Take off your shoes and step into my presence. In other words, I don't need anything extra that you have. I just want you in the Ross version of yourself. Step into my presence. Step into my presence. God wants you his way. But I thought the Bible says, come as I am. Absolutely. The gospel says, come as I am. But the power of the Holy Spirit does not leave you as you are. He says, come as you are, but as you get with me and you commune with me and you talk with me, I'm going to shift you and mold you. It's not that you're bad as you are. No, no, where you are is good, but I go from glory to glory to glory, and I got more for you, and there's more in you, and I'm going to pull it out of you, and I'm going to sharpen you, and I'm going to anoint you, and I'm going to speak to you, and you're going to learn how to hear my voice, and you're going to learn how to read this word, but, but there are things that I need you to lean in on, and as you lean into me, you're going to take other things off. See, if you come in here with your shoes, you're going to think that your shoes make you, but the shoes do not make the man. Uh-uh. A man that walks and steps in the presence of God, that's a man of God right there. That's a woman of God right there. I need people that know that what they come with is not what I need. What I need is just them in their rawest form. See, we might miss it because we might think culturally, yeah, that's what you did when you walked into someone's house. You took off your shoes, for sure, except he's not walking into a house. He's outside. So why would he take off his shoes outside? To take off your shoes outside in those days would actually, would actually say you have less than. For a man to be barefoot on the dirt would speak to his riches. So now not only is he a man taking care of someone else's sheep, he's now a man that has to stand barefoot. Blessed are the meek, the word of God says. Blessed are those that die to themselves, are poor in spirit. That's not poor financially, that's, that's poor in spirit. In other words, I don't think much of my spirit, and I think all the much more about the spirit of God. Take off anything that you have that you think is a bell and whistle. I don't do bells and whistles, I do presents. Oof. He says, take it off and step into my presence. Take it off and step into my presence. Take it off and step into my presence. Now, worship team, you could join me because we're going to go back all the way in. Because I said all that to say this next point. Point four, can you put this up for me? God wants you to point people his way. So God wants you. You are his way. God wants you his way. God wants you to point people his way. As Moses is standing before God, God says to him, take off your shoes and step into my presence. That's what the Old Testament says to us. How many of us know that the Old Testament is simply Jesus Christ concealed? And the New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. This speaks, to, this speaks to a religion. But we know that the God that we serve is all about relationship. This speaks to custom, but the New Testament speaks to lifestyle. I want to say this to you. The Old Testament says, says, take off your shoes so that you could step into my presence. The New Testament says, step and walk in my presence. The Old Testament says that you have, to, you have to step into the presence of God, but the New Testament says you go 
in the presence of God. He, he commissions us to reach people, lost people, hurt people, broken people. See, the next part of the conversation, Moses says to God, why me? Then God says to him, he says to he says to, to God, what makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, I'll be with you. And this will be the proof that I'm the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. In other words, you will go into the land, you will set them free, and you will not die because the very place that I am sending you out from is the very place you will return to worship me. So in other words, you will be safe. And now this conversation continues with God and Moses. And then Moses says to God, suppose I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your father sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, tell God's people, I am sent you. Moses is completely insecure and he's thinking, yeah, but why me? Why, why me? And God's trying to let him know it's, it's not about you. It's about the people and they're bound and they're broken. And, and Moses is here and he's making it about himself. And he's not doing it in an egocentric way. He's doing it in an insecure way. I'm not trying to give Moses a bad rap. If, if we're being honest, we've all been insecure like Moses. Like, God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not sharp enough. I'm, I'm too anxious. I'm too antsy. I, I speak too quick. I got too thick of a New York accent. Will these Southerners understand me? says, but you're asking about you, and I've already told you it has nothing to do with you. It's about them. Yeah, but God, what about my doubts? I know, but they're in slavery. What about my insecurity? I know, but they're broken. It's, it's not about you. It's, it's about them. I say this because the day and age that we're living in, we need more believers believing publicly that are not hiding in the pretty places of the earth, but are willing to walk in the desert, willing to pick up some sheep, willing to stand with some people and, and walk with some people. See, if we're not careful, Christianity is about which side are you on. You know, the enemy doesn't even have to get us to be against the world because the church is fighting amongst themselves right now. Anyone else noticing this? There's, what's your political side? Oh, here we go. Well, I believe this. And I believe that. I'm left and I'm right. And I'm, I'm right and I'm left. A few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was in South Carolina. And I was, I was ministering there, it was a Saturday night, and I was with my guy Al, and we had a few hours to kill, so we just decided to take a stroll outside. This is the same weekend where the news broke about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Right away, somebody went to say, just thought, I wonder what he believes in. Don't get caught up on it. As we were walking outside of our hotel, there was a lot of yelling protesting. There were women on one side of the street, and they were yelling, and they were screaming, things that we've heard before. My body, my choice. Somebody had a sign up. In fact, few people had signs up telling their story of how they were raped, and why they believe what they believe. 
Then there were a group of Christians across the street. And the Christians were yelling at the women. And the women were yelling at the Christians. And the Christians were holding up signs of John 3, 16. God loves you. But there was no joy on them. They were yelling. They were screaming. Their, their, their face looked nothing like their Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, no one's listening to each other. What's, what's the point of this? What, what is this doing for anybody right now? If you remember that, that week was also Pride Week. So as I kept walking, there was another group of Christians. And there was another group of people protesting. They were protesting the freedom of their sexuality. And the Christians were telling them how wrong they were. And they were saying, turn or burn and stuff like that. And no one's listening to each other. And they're, they're yelling. And what it felt like was chaos. I kept walking. About 30 more feet further, away from all the protesting, there's a woman. She had to be in her late 50s, laid out on the floor, strung out on drugs. No one's helping her. We got a whole lot of Christians, they're protesting. And we got someone bound on the street, but no one's helping her. No one's speaking to her. No one's trying to clean her up. No one's trying to get her water. No one's trying to help her. No, one's, no one was trying to help her, but they were there. They just weren't helping her because they were so fixated on making their point. And what a clever, what a clever tactic of the enemy that if he could get us arguing about our points, we will miss out on purpose. See, if I could try to get you to understand what I believe in, then, 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 then that is enough for the enemy to keep you from doing Doing what you're supposed to do. We are called to be people that reach people that are hurting and dying. We exist to help people, which people, all people. You're a believer? Any believers in the house? I got news for you. We're not left and we're not right. We're not right and we're not left. We are up. We are kingdom. We care about what God cares about. We care about babies because God cares about babies. We care about racism because God cares about racism. We care about police brutality because God cares about police brutality. We care about people being killed and cops being killed because God cares about cops being killed. Stop trying to get me to pick a side. Evil is prevalent and evil will sneak in on both sides. Evil sneaks in on the right and evil sneaks in on the left. I'm not with you. I'm not with you. I'm with him. I stand on the name of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. Send me to the highways. Send me to the byways. I want to see people saved. Why? Because when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to being social. Give him a shout. What are we talking about? I don't care about your president. Let's talk about real authority in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, demons have to flee. That's authority. In the name of Jesus, eternity shifts. That's authority. Heaven be yours in the name of Jesus. Hell be broken in the name of Jesus. Generational curses be broken in the name of Jesus. If you believe in that name, give him a shout. There is power in the name of Jesus. I said there is power in the name of Jesus. Stay with me. You can stay standing if you'd like. 
God says to Moses, Moses says, I'm not enough. And God says, I am who I am. When, when Moses says, why me? God says, I am. When Moses says, I'm not smart enough. God says, I am. When Moses says, I'm not sharp enough. God says, I am. When Moses says, I am not enough. God says, Remember in the New Testament when Jesus is being arrested? Have you heard this story before? Jesus is arrested by the soldiers on the night he was betrayed. When Judas comes and kisses him on the cheek, where was he? He was, he was in the garden praying. And as he's there praying, they say, the soldiers come, thousands of them, with Judas, with the traitor. They say, where's Jesus? And Jesus says, I am he. It's the same translation from your Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when God says to Moses, I am who I am, is the very same word that Jesus is saying in the garden. He says, I am who I am. Do you know what happens the next moment? The soldiers fall down. The soldiers collapse. But wait a minute. The enemy doesn't only fall down. The disciples fall down too. Why? Because Jesus always levels the playing field. Oh my goodness. He says, I am that I am. And the enemy falls down. And the disciples fall down. Then they get back up and the disciples, the, the disciples are standing with Jesus. And the enemy comes again. And they say, which one is Jesus? Silly enough to ask again. And Jesus says, I am. And they fall down again. And the disciples fall down again. And as the disciples fall down, that's when Peter goes to cut Malchus's ear. Isn't it amazing that even in the presence of God, we got believers trying to cut people's ears. You ever thought what your comments would do to somebody? Oh, you've been cutting ears all 2020, 2021, and 2022. We don't need more social media. What we need is social church, being a social church, saying I stand on the name of Jesus. I speak hope over people. I speak life over people. I offer mercy to people. The same I am that God reveals himself to Moses is the same I am that Jesus reveals himself to both the enemy and the disciples. It's also important to note that, that that garden was also a cemetery. So when he says, I am, if you read in Luke's account, it says that there's a young boy wrapped up, wrapped up in grave clothes. And that they went to snatch him up because they didn't want anyone to believe of his miracle. Why do I say that? Because when Jesus says, I am, the enemy falls down, his people fall down, and what's dead now rose up. A boy came back to life. Why? At the mention of the name of Jesus. Why are you saying all of this? I'm saying this, worship team, come on out. I'm saying this because I'm trying to help you. You're saying if I bring people to church, what happens? I got to prepare them. They're not going to be ready for the worship. They're not going to be ready for the word. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because here's what happens in the presence of God. Those that are against him, they fall at his feet. Those that are for him, they fall at his feet. God's presence is enough. He says, all I'm looking for are people that would find themselves available. Well, I'm not appropriate. I don't need you to be appropriate. I just need you to be available. And if you're available, guess what? You're appropriate. And I want you to live your life as an arrow, pointing people 
to me. God, what do I say? He says, just say I am. God, what do I do? I am. But God, I'm not enough. I know you're not, but I am. In fact, it's good that you're not enough. Because if you were, you try to take the credit. But it's because that you're not enough that people are going to find me. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Thank you.